Welcome to another episode of the AAP Podcast. I'm Chris Versace, Lead Portfolio Manager for the Streets AAP Portfolio, and I'm pretty excited about this uh, episode of the podcast. And I say that because we all know that through 2023, artificial intelligence, AI, was a very big topic, particularly for the Magnificent Seven group of stocks. And as we've moved into 2024, we've heard from Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, uh, and others that they're going to continue to invest in AI uh, because of the disruptive power that it has, the new business models that can be brought forth, and how it's going to change the way we work. Well, in thinking about all of that, I'm very happy that I was able to sit down with Christopher Savoy, the founder and CEO of Zapata AI. Zapata has been working with AI for industrial applications since 2017. And Christopher Savoy shares how his start in molecular biology in working with machine learnings for sequencing gave rise to the formation of Zapata in its use of rich analytics with real-time data and large language models to address customer-specific problems. Our conversation turns to generative AI with Savoy explaining how it can drive productivity with diverse examples ranging from engineering and construction to financial products like annuities and even race car driving strategies. We then discuss why generative AI is the latest in a line of tools, much like the internet, that will alter how we work, driving productivity along the way. Savoy also shares why GPT-4 may not be the product some are hoping it will be and why multiple smaller language models working together, not one model to rule them all, will help companies address their specific problems and needs. Now, please sit back and get ready to enjoy my conversation with Christopher Savoy, the founder and CEO of Zapata AI. Well, everyone, I am super excited to have Christopher Savoy join us from Zapata. But before we get started, um, just a couple interesting tidbits about uh, Christopher. Uh, not only did he uh, found Zapata, which is, of course, focused on the industrial AI, but he also spent time at Verizon, Nissan, and as you'll find, he has an interesting history with an Apple iPhone feature known as Siri. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. So, you know, I, I'm very excited to talk to you guys because, um, you know, with Zapata, you're you're really focused on AI. And of course, there, there's been a lot of conversation about that, a lot of buzz, if you will, really over the last year. Uh, and I think we're starting to see an inflection point where companies are moving from the hopium of AI right, to actual applications. We're hearing more about uh, realized productivity. And, and I want to get into you with that. But if you could, give us a thumbnail sketch on your background. I, I gave it you know, le way less than that, but it is impressive. Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, uh, five-syllable five words in, in, in the background there, probably. Uh, I started out as a molecular biophysicist by training, uh, working on immune molecules, uh, structural biology is another word for that. Basically, uh, taking uh, uh, molecules that are important in medicine and figuring out how they're, they're structured and how they work. Um, did that in the wet lab. Uh, meaning doing uh, mass spectrometry and things like this, like uh, lab experiments. I was a, 
uh, lab rat for for a while uh, with a, with a white coat on uh, in that uh, early part of my career in, in, and in graduate school, um, but quickly got into uh, the notion that biology is really about sequences, which means it's about sequences of letters. Uh, letters of amino acids, letters of DNA. I'm sure all of your audience has heard about that, you know. And and it really became pretty obvious uh, in the 90s when I was working on this stuff that um, understanding biology, understanding how to create biological drugs, all of this kind of stuff is really about understanding the sequences, right? It's about understanding what sequence does what. And this became about, you know, letters, letters, alphabet letters. You know, they're nothing but like, you know, they're, they're, they're just letters like any other letters, right? And the sequence of those letters matters. You know, you put a certain sequence of words, it's in English, and you put change the same letters around, and you got Italian, right? Um, hmm, hmm, uh, true, so, true. So uh, really, it is about understanding and doing the analysis behind that. So this is where my interest uh, uh, kind of burgeoned in, in, in AI and machine learning of really understanding sequences of letters, initially for the purposes of biology, but as you've kind of alluded to, uh, later on for the uses of understanding those sequences for other purposes. Uh, and we've seen that recently with these large language models with ChatGPT. It's about understanding those sequences of letters and then producing outputs that are creative and new with this generative AI. So, so help me understand how you went from that to help developing some of the bases for Apple's Siri product uh, and then moving to Zapata. So yeah, uh, so I was in Japan uh, and uh, doing my biological research, I had been working on machine learning uh, applied to vaccine design, if you want to call it that. So finding out which epitopes, which sequences of letters will give you the most immunity out of something or less immunity or a different immune reaction. Really trying to understand what's behind having this sequence versus that sequence, having this letter combination versus that letter combination. And uh, another uh, graduate student, Baba Kojat, um, who now runs AI over at, at Cognizant, uh, and uh, was working on artificial life in this agent-oriented uh, kind of uh, work, uh, having agents that that symbiose, that, that that talk to each other and and are kind of artificial uh, life. And and by combining these two concepts, we came up with the idea that we could use an agent-oriented system to parse language without worrying about the grammar. So uh, this agent would see something in the in the uh, the input that it likes. Another agent would see something else in the input that it recognizes and likes, and the two agents would talk together about what to do about it. Is an oversimplified, uh, <laughs> overly <laughs> uh, you know dumbed down way of talking about it. But basically, it was about uh, taking this sequence analysis and distributing it over a bunch of in a multi-agent system. Uh, so in some ways, each one of these agents had what we would call today a small language model, uh, recognizing a little bit of the input that it understands. So to, to give you an example of that, if you had something like uh, uh, play the DVD player or play the Blu-ray player mm -hmm. or something like that, um, uh, you would have a DVD agent that knew DVD. You'd have even a Blu-ray agent that knew Blu-ray. Um, uh, but if you just said play, it would be able to talk to the Blu-ray agent and the DVD agent say, you got two options here. It would be able to create a menu. Which one do you want? So that's kind of the whole basis behind it. It helps uh, reduce the ambiguity because you have these multiple systems that can kind of talk to each other and resolve the output. So then, you know, if you're going down that path and we've seen 
uh, I guess, voice agents or virtual assistants kind of come about. Why, why the pivot for you to AI and Zapata? I think, you know, it's all been about machine learning of one type of another or another, right? It's about using machines to take the data that's available and then understand inputs and create outputs. You know, that's really been been the, uh, I guess, the focus uh, of my uh, interest in my career throughout the years is, okay, whatever the input uh, is, could it, it could be a sequence from biology or it could be, uh, as we're doing with uh, Andretti uh, Global, we're doing uh, racing, which is a bunch of inputs of data from sensors on cars. Uh, to me, it's all input. And you want to take that input, understand the world uh, using this machine learning in a way that kind of humans do. We memorize things and we you know, combine different things and then we get new insights uh, on that data. But we can do that at a much larger level with a computer because we can store more information at one time than one human could keep in their mind. You know, try to keep a, an entire iPhone's worth of telephone numbers in your head and memorize them and then regurgitate them quickly. I can't do it. I can't even remember my own phone number nowadays. I, I I was just gonna say, I'm my, uh, you know, my memory because of the iPhone, particularly for phone numbers, is simply horrible now because I think names or nicknames, and I press the button, you know, whether it's a call or to message somebody, off it goes. You know, it's it's far, far from when I was a kid and I had to remember, you know, streams of, you know, seven, sometimes ten digits. So. Yeah. I don't know my kids' phone numbers, if you ask me now. I, I don't. I know where to get them on the, on the iPhone, right? And, yeah, well, and that's the thing. So computers can store that information and readily access that information better. So they can do these some of these rote memorization tasks and these uh, uh, learning tasks better than we can uh, because they can have more information from more different sources and understand insights across these different variables better. And to me, that's powerful. And that was powerful for biology. It's powerful for understanding analytics and auto racing, uh, for supply chain, and all of these other kind of industrial uses of uh, of this kind of capability. Well, let's let's get to that in one second because I, I think the vast majority of people, you know, they've read science fiction. They might have been familiar to some degree with artificial intelligence or AI. Uh, but for a lot of folks, it was really almost a year ago when NVIDIA's CEO kind of came out and, you know, talked quite a bit about the future of AI and what it would mean and the amount of processing power uh, and why, you know, their GPUs and, and GPUs from AMD and others would, would be in high demand. But what, what, what's interesting to me is Zapata was formed years before that. So when, when we think about that, what did you see at the time? Has AI developed the way you thought it would? Is it accelerating? Help us kind of understand um, your perspective on, on what's happened in these last few years. Yeah, I think this gets to kind of the origin story. So, uh, you know, we, we uh, spun out of Elon Esparagushik's uh, uh, lab at Harvard University. Uh, where he was working on this quantum math, this, these quantum algorithms. Uh, and a lot of times when I say that, people think, oh, well, oh, so you have quantum computers, things that will run. Yeah, eventually they'll run on quantum computers. But what we're talking about is really high-end math, linear algebra. Uh, this is a problem when I talk to investors in the normal public, because if you say you're a linear algebra company, people have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the reality is I, I double majored math and economics, right? So I, 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 but it's been a long time since I've had to, you know, think on the math side of things. Um, I think a lot of people, you, you just traumatize them with the word algebra. 
Oh yeah, and then I start saying things. Well, what I mean is matrix multiplication. Then they go even further yeah, yeah, <laughs> with yeah, their yeah, eyes yeah, rolling, yeah. and and they're like, "Whoa, get get me out of this conversation, please." <laughs> uh, you get the allergic reactions to math happening pretty quickly. And then you say you want to clarify. Well, what I mean is quantum math. Oh, now now we're in you know Mars territory, <laughs> uh, uh, and they and they really they're looking at me like I'm a Martian and I have five eyes and come from outer space. Um, so. You know, but that's in essence what we're doing is better math. I think if I want to dumb it down, it's linear algebra. That's what we do. Uh, linear algebra, what is that? Matrix multiplication. That's what GPUs do really fast. Uh, so, uh, you know, we uh, were using linear algebra in that lab, uh, which was a chemistry lab, to understand chemistry. Well, that doesn't sound very hard, does it? Well, until you realize that chemistry problems are these big, massive statistical problems in the quantum world, right? Uh, when we talk about what is quantum, well, it means that this electron in my fingernail here is not just in my fingernail, but it's also quantumly on the other side of Andromeda, on the other side of the universe. It's less there, thankfully, than it is here. But I also, when I have to consider the statistics of where that electron actually is, I have to consider where it might be in the universe. And that's a big equation. That's a tough math problem. And then I have to take the electron next to it and say, well, that may be correlated with that electron, but it also might be on the other side of the other side of the universe, right? So this is the kind of huge math problem uh, that chemistry is all about. That's why you need these quantum physicists, chemist people to be doing these problems to figure out how, whether a drug is gonna dock to a protein. Uh, I, I, I gotta tell you, Christopher, sounds trippy. It's very trippy, it's, it's, it, it is. I mean, quantum is these huge, massive statistical problems. So. Why was that relevant? Okay, we're going to take this math. We know how to do that to some extent. We can estimate how this molecule, and, and, and if it gets up to the size of something like methane, you need a supercomputer at Oak Ridge to really calculate these, these energies. It's really massive computing. It's one of the more massive computing problems that we have in the world is, is doing quantum chemistry. Um, you know, pharmaceutical companies use massive amounts of compute to, to try and uh, make these estimations, right? So we have this high-end math. We know how to do that math pretty efficiently, not perfectly accurately. Um, someday we'll have quantum computers that will do it perfectly accurately, um, but we're not waiting around for that. We need to do some of these calculations today to figure out how to make the next drop, right? So where, where do I take that math and apply it? Well, one answer is chemistry, of course, right? We can do that better. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. as a company, let's go and talk to, to, to chemistry companies about how we might apply that math uh, in typical chemistry uh, companies like BSF or in uh, other uh, chemical usage companies like BP, British Petroleum and their downstream chemistry and, and this kind of a thing. How do you burn things more efficiently is a really important problem, okay? But um, really, chemistry is just one use of this math. And when we started back in 2017, before there was generative AI, at least as a concept, ChatGPT wasn't around, none of this stuff was around, we said, what mathematical problems look like chemistry? And the answer that quickly came to us was generative AI. And this is, you know, 2017, 2018, our first patent in that space was, um, was uh, applied for in, in 2018, less than a year after we started. But mind you, I, I think uh, at the time, uh, OpenAI was not a for-profit company even. It was a, right. was a non-profit entity. Uh, it wasn't a business. There wasn't even a concept of ChatGPT out there yet. So we didn't say, oh yeah, let's go do language models and blah, 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 blah with this math because it didn't exist. 
when we started talking about, well, we're doing generative AI with this, people looked at me again, like I came from Mars, Mars. Uh, because they're like, well, generative AI, wait, isn't that deep faking? Isn't that like fake pictures of cats? And, uh, <laughs> and then it would be like investors would ask me like, well, what are you going to do with a business model for fake pictures of cats? We don't get it. Uh, was this NFTs? Is this, what, okay. what, what are you going to do with this stuff? Uh, no, we're going to do industrial problems. So you're going to have industrial problems that are fake pictures of cats? Well, no, no, it's not about pictures and it's not about just chatbots. It's it's about doing industrial problems like we are doing. It's the same technology, but applied to other areas. And we were not interested, um, honestly, in language, even though I had a background in doing some of those early applications in natural language. Uh, that was not like our first thing. That's a B2B2C thing. That's that's consumer, that's chatbot, and it's hard. I you know, I, I did it back in the day. It's it's hard to get really right. Siri's still not right. Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't always give you the right answer, right? Uh, no, nor does ChatGPT for that matter. So it wasn't for me uh, a thing that you know we need to needed to apply to language because it's kind of ambiguous, has some problems. But we could use that technology to do other things like predictive analytics, things that I had done at, at Verizon, Nissan, other places where uh, there are some smaller problems, if you will, that are much more pragmatic that could use generative AI. And so that's how we started out, was to, uh, actually going after the numbers type of problems, like the stuff we're doing with Andretti with sensor data from, from, from racing, or what we announced recently that we're doing with SMTB, Sumitomo Mitsui Trust Bank, uh, in uh, creating trading and, and 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 investment strategies for a bank using numerical data from from the markets, these are not language problems per se. So we started doing that, and then you know a couple November's ago, uh, ChatGPT comes out, and everyone is thrilled by this, and they're like, "Wow, this is it! We've got a general AI that knows everything, except <laughs> it can't do simple math uh, and get it right." Uh, so that really was kind of the moment where we said, okay, let's do language too. And uh, we've also, as you know, uh, announced our prose product, which allows us to do this much more efficiently using the quantum math that we came out of than the previous generation of technologies that these uh, other uh, uh, OpenAI and other models like Llama are based on, uh, which use a previous version of the technology. Okay, so let me ask you two questions because you, you've kind of given one or two examples of what you said as industrial AI, but but for the listener, how should they think about those types of applications? You know, I think twice already you've mentioned using server data for racing and you, you mentioned this um, SMTB example, but is there a more, a more general way to think about it? Yeah, I think um, if you think about what is generative AI, how is that different from uh, any of the AI or machine learning we've heard of in, in the past decades. Well, what's new about it? What's so creepy about this? <laughs> it's kind of human-like. Why, why are we so impressed with what ChatGPT can do, right? It's because it's actually doing something that we consider to be kind of human, which is creativity. It's generative, meaning generating something new. Uh, and what is that? What is creating something new? Well, Machine learning until now has, so let's take the picture of a cat because I, I get it all the time. Uh, a picture of a cat is what? What is a cat? Okay. Uh, machine learning until now was, I show you 1,000 pictures of a cat, and that, that is the definition of cat. And if the 1,000 first picture of a cat is a blue polka-dotted cat with, with green stripes and no tail, that's not cat. But a human 
that has this generative modeling capability built into the way we work would look at that and say, that's a cat with no tail and it has mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, pink stripes or, or flowers all over it or whatever. You can do that. So what has generative AI been able to do? It's been able to generalize a model, a statistical model. Now we're getting back into the math of it, uh, a statistical model of what is cat. So what is what is a cat as a statistical model means it, it, it's kind of fluffy, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, but it's it's not, uh, this is cat. If you'd asked a machine learning model until generative AI came around, draw me a new cat. It would take the eyes from that one, the tail from that one, the paws from that one. It would regurgitate it and say, that's cat. Frankenstein. Exactly, exactly. It would take whatever it's learned and regurgitate it. But that's not what the generative AI is doing. And that's why it's so kind of cool. It's actually has a model for what is a cat. So it can actually draw a cat with no tail. If you go to Dali and you say, draw me a cat with no tail, it'll draw you a cat with no tail. Uh, why? Because it knows what cat as a concept is. It's generalized the concept of cat. And it's also generalized the concept of what a Picasso painting is versus a Monet painting or a Monet painting. So you can actually go to Dali and say, draw me a Picasso cat and you'll get a Picasso-like cat right, with a maybe triangle nose and, and that kind of mm -hmm, a thing. Mm -hmm. So what is kind of cool about this new technology is that it's using these statistical models to come up with a generality, a generalized version of CAT, so that you can do these kind of malleable uh, things where you're doing something actually creative. So you're gener generalizing the model, and then you can actually be creative, expressive within that model. You can do interesting things like a new cat and blah, blah, blah. So why right. is all this interesting in, in, in industry? Well, right. what does an engineer do? Well, it has a model for bridges, good bridges, bad bridges, ones that won't work because if you use this math, uh, the bridge is going to fall down. Not so good, right? So there are constraints here, but it has a general idea. The engineer has a general idea of what a good bridge is, right? And it has, you know, the, the engineer has a model for that. And he or she can then say, okay, Given that model and giving this river that I'm creating a bridge over, what's a good bridge there? Let's be creative within that. Okay, it could have this, it could have that, it could be this color, it could be that color. Some of the basics have to be the same or it's not bridge anymore, it's a disaster. Um, but uh, what the generative AI can do that humans can't, just like memorizing a lot of phone numbers like we talked about, mm -hmm. it can have a thousand bridge ideas right. in an instant, right? A thousand different ones that that engineer hasn't even thought of it can kind of color outside the lines a little bit better. So I, I can, I mean, I, I understand what you're getting at here, but I, I could see applications for home construction, for new building construction, right? And, and anything where you can kind of take a lot of history or models, as, as you say, and, you know, once the model is, once the AI has ingested them, then it can start to create new designs. Exactly. And, and that's where the productivity comes in. Exactly. And this can be, you know, you think of creativity, well, maybe engineering is, is the easiest example. But if you think of someone designing a new annuities project for an insurer, it's the same thing. Like, okay, how do I create a new financial model that will work well for this demographic or that demographic that doesn't work well for our other demographics, right? Uh, a new product, because I'm not going to invest as much because I don't have as much money. So how do I help mm -hmm, that? Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe underrepresented population take advantage of annuities, which would benefit them, but uh, we're not selling it to, to people in certain uh, uh, socioeconomic uh, spheres or whatever. So now I can start to branch out and be more creative and think about 
different models better using the same kind of model. So creativity isn't just the engineers and the builders and whatever, it's the financial right. modelers and, and other people creating other products. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny when, until you just gave that financial example, I was thinking, wow, it's easy to come up with a lot of design aspects. And then you think about industrial design, not, not just buildings, but cars, bicycles, I mean, all, all, all sorts of physical things, but you're right. You can take that to designing products, essentially. Yep, and, and uh, strategies, like in the racing, what are we doing there? Well, if I, I, I you know, basically deep faking, deep fake me a cat, deep fake me a new bridge, but I can also say deep fake me a, a route around that track or a race strategy with pit, pit stops at certain times uh, that will do better, right? And it will give me five different strategies. I'm, I'm just thinking that, um, I, I don't know if you're a fan of pickleball or not, but over the weekend, they, they had the Grand Slam, and it was uh, Agassi Graf, uh, Sharpova, and John McEnroe. And I'm thinking, wow, imagine if John McEnroe had a at a industrial AI that could say, all you need to do is hit the ball here, and it will land exactly right next to the line he would kill it every time. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and this is what's making us superhuman. I don't think we'll remove uh, the, the experts or you know, the pro tennis players out of a job or uh, the equivalent bridge designers out of a job. But what we will be able to do is give them more creative tools. Uh, in music, we may be able to give them different melody ideas that they hadn't thought of, right? Uh, different rhythmic ideas that they hadn't thought of, you know, uh, just by giving other influences. So, you know, I think that this is augmentative. A lot of us talk about, you know, how this is going to, you know, reduce our workforce or, you know, uh, change our, it will change how we do our jobs. But I really uh, am an optimist that that this is actually going to help us in all of these creative aspects of of our economy and our society. So you're not um, as worried as some of the, the doomsayers are about the eventual uh, <laughs> robot workforce and people will be sitting home for a couple of days a week. It, it, to use your words, it, it's another tool. The internet is a tool. Uh, Microsoft Office, whether it's Word, Excel, PowerPoint tools, that's how you're thinking about this. Absolutely. And, and you wouldn't say, okay, we have a tractor, let's go back to Oxen, right? Uh, you know, did, did tractors remove jobs from farmers? No, they made farmers more efficient, right? Uh, you still need somebody to figure out what crops you're gonna plant when and where, and you know that's more of a marketing thing than anything, right? So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if you're keeping producing tobacco after the lawsuits, uh, you're not doing so well as a farmer, right? Um, so uh, I think it's augmentative in that sense and, and, and not really subtractive. We're gonna find out how to use these tools and there's gonna be a little bit of have and have not in a capitalist society. Um, some people are going to figure out how to use those tools better than other people quickly, and they're going to have an advantage uh, over people who don't use the tools and don't adopt them. So what industries or sectors inside of other industries do you think are most ripe for, let's say, positive disruption through the, this technology? I'm actually really interested in, you know, the industrial folks who are not so digitalized yet, not and and because they have these processes that are still people oriented in a way, and they haven't been yet uh, digitalized. It's not the digital industries in some way. They're they're adopting AI. They're kind of AI native from the beginning. They've been doing analytics forever. So the people who've done digital transformation um, quickly and early and were early adopters are are probably the places where 
uh, we're not going to see as much of a change and as much of a delta, ironically. It's going to be places like logistics companies that literally today still have a person with a clipboard saying, I think I can fit one more pallet on that ship or that truck. Right. And literally, that's how it's happening today. People don't think they think, well, FedEx has this big computer that they're using, a supercomputer that gets my package from here to there, and they've computed everything along the way. No, that's mm -hmm. not really how it goes. There's actually a person uh, counting pallets going into that truck. So if I may, if you think of a company like Amazon with the power of AWS that is investing in AI, and you think about their core business, right, which is digital shopping, and moving things around from one location to the other, that could be a big positive for them. 100%, yeah, absolutely. And and maybe they will be because they're, you know, within the same business structure, they do have the capability. Maybe they will push that. We've seen them want to push drones and AI and all this. We've seen some of those uh, those images of what, what the future looks like for them. Uh, and I think that, you know, one thing is, you know, the technology drones and this kind of thing and whatever, but the logistics piece really isn't different from FedEx right now. Nobody has revolutionized that. I think it's going to take a, a kind of a SpaceX motion where you uh, uh, where you say, uh, I'm I'm going to uh, blow up literally the the the, the idea of how we're going to wow. do rockets, right? And blow it up and start over with like, because would you build a logistic system that just uses people counting pallets uh, going onto trucks if you were to create it today in the world of AI? Probably not. We're yeah. going to need that kind of uh, movement to to really disrupt these industries in a way. And I think that's a huge opportunity. I think the people people who get this will do it. But it is going to take, you know, these kind of, uh, I hesitate to say it, but Elon musk kind of uh, uh, <laughs> uh, attitudes and, 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 and bets. Uh, to well, uh, it's always easier to start, you know, fresh, right? Because otherwise you're, you're um, tacking, you know, back and forth or trying to transform your business. And that, that takes time. Right. Yes. You know, there, there's that old saying, you know, about uh, turning a tanker around. It just takes a lot of time. And then all of a sudden it just starts to whip and it happens a lot faster than you think. So I, I do think you're right on that. But, you know, for folks that are looking to create new companies, uh, tap into venture capital, that could be very exciting. I think the disruptive stuff is going to be. And and if you don't disrupt yourself and you want to stay with oxen because you've got the biggest uh, herd of oxen, great. But uh, when the tractor comes along and John Deere takes over, uh, you're you're going to be out of luck. <laughs> is is there any area where you see a lot of this? And this is uh, one of my favorite words, hopium, right? Um, where the hopium about AI may it's a little ahead of itself. Right, that the like, like we are just not there yet. The expectations need to be dialed back, if you will. Are there any areas that you see that? Well, I think you know the idea that GPT-4 is some kind of general intelligence that can answer any question for anything and do it accurately uh, has been overhyped. Um, you know, we're going to need multiple models, smaller models working together that get the answer right uh, for this to really work. To to think that the one the one model that rules them all is going to happen is is a little bit naive and and we can see that you know you know you, you, we we hear this in the market already with CEOs who've uh, 
found out that they that, that chat GPT finished their daughter's uh, history homework. And they come, <laughs> then they come into the boardroom one day and they, I want all of my people to uh, use chat GPT and tell me your chat GPT strategy for blah, 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 for answering me my FP&A analysis. I want it to, I want to ask it five models of my next quarterly results and, and tell me what the answer is going to be. And that's clearly not what, what it can do. So there has been some, uh, over expectation because of the the things it can do that are quite surprising and quite human that, that I've uh, tried to describe um, this creative aspect of things. So we think it's a human. We 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 try to treat it like a human uh, and a very smart human that knows everything. And it's not. It's not omniscient. It's based on the entire internet, including the stuff that's wrong on the internet. Um, so uh, it, it's really not. That's not the best tool for that. It can still do a lot of things really well. Um, but it's not a panacea. It's not a be-all, know-all uh, type of thing. And and what this leads to is, you know, wrong expectations even on the use case level. Like, and and I, it was really kind of funny. So we're we're doing the the analysis and predictive analytics of how, say, a slip angle will be on a a track uh, for a race car. And so we're doing this with Andretti. And so I showed up at, at one of the races one day with uh, with Eric Bretzman, who's the the head engineer over at Andretti. And he came to me, he's like, he's smirking. He said, we can fire Zapata now because we have open AI. And I asked <laughs> ChatGPT how to win the Indy 500. And I have the answer. And he pulled out his his, uh, his iPad. He said, look, look, see, we've got it. Uh, uh, don't crash the car. Drive faster. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> qualify in the top 10 was the next one. So you get these kind of common sense answers and and whatever, but not... Yeah, find the best slip angle so that you don't degrade your tires, and blah, 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 you know that that's that's just not what it does. So I think that there has been this overhyping that it's going to give you the ultimate answers. Uh, it will be good at generalizing things and uh, creating summaries of things and finding general knowledge. Uh, but most of the knowledge that that CEOs really want in their companies, uh, the devil's in the details of the real answers, right? And, and you really need the real analytics. Generative AI will help in those predictive analytics, but it's not this big language model thing that's gonna actually do that for us. Fascinating. And I assume uh, that is where Zapata comes in. That is one of the places where we can help. You know, we are we can help, you know, reduce the size and the cost of these language models. I mean, if you look at some of the things that have come out in the popular press recently about the energy costs and the estimations that those are the the, the cost of this is uh, going to take. You know, so if you're a CEO of a company that's touting its ESG policies and you're spending a bunch of money on a model that's really inefficient, that is predicted to contribute 3.5 percent of all total global energy for AI, uh, you really kind of got a little bit of a problem there, right? So uh, I think uh, for, for our role in this is to use the quantum physics stuff to reduce the size of the models, to make them more efficient, uh, so that we don't run into having some kind of ESG problem with energy like we have with Bitcoin mining and this kind of stuff, uh, where it's kind of obscene the amount of energy that we're using. Um, that's great for NVIDIA and NVIDIA stock, but probably not so great for our Earth. Um, and 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 certainly not great for the bottom line cost-wise. So we can help with that, and we can do some of the problems that are more numbers-oriented than language. And I think it's going to be a combination of language and numbers to get the kind of answers that people really expect to get out of this kind of generative AI capability. Wow. I, I got to say, you framed the whole conversation quite differently than I think a lot of people were probably expecting that you would, but I always think that's a good thing. 
Um, and Christopher, you've been so generous with your time. Um, but before we get out of here, anything we didn't talk about that we should? No, I think it just does come back down to if I were to re-emphasize, you know, that that cost matters in this thing, that that that, that getting these models right, uh, getting them accurate. Uh, and uh, also making them secure is really a, an important thing for enterprise. You know, it's one thing to have a, a chatbot that answers, you know, homework questions or whatever. It's another thing entirely when you're storing people's medical records or their personal information in a model. And I, I think that we really haven't got a solution yet for the kind of security and privacy aspects around this and the kind of enterprise things that we need to really worry about here. Um, we haven't thought about that a lot. One of the major things there is that you take all of the data in a company, say all of the bank's data, right? Uh, and, and that's got a lot of personal information in it. Um, and you just, that's really hard to steal though. Stealing all of a bank's information would be a massive mm -hmm. hacking problem, right? Trying to steal all of, all of the gold in Fort Knox. Maybe you get a few bars out, right? But the problem we have here is we're taking all of these insights and we're condensing them into a really tiny model that has all of the important information in that bank in one model that can be more easily stolen. So I think we really need to start thinking about, and we're thinking about a lot in, in what we're deploying, uh, that model security, because we're actually creating a problem that I think in enterprise, a lot of people haven't thought about, uh, which is the this privacy aspect and the, and the social aspects of that. I, I was just going to ask, um, it sounds like, and there's, I've thought about this quite a bit, but it sounds like AI could be a very positive tool for cyber attackers. Absolutely. Makes the, uh, the thing that I'm stealing smaller. So I could have all my money in 5,000 bank accounts, or I can put in one gold bar in my kitchen. Uh, and that's kind of what we're doing here. Okay. All right. Well, Christopher, I'm going to uh, reserve the right to call you back in about six months because I imagine that between now and then, a lot more is going to happen about AI. I mean, I am reading how it will design my fashion in two years, and it can do all sorts of other things. And I, I think we will want to tap into uh, your thoughts and understanding uh, in the coming months. Yeah. Thank you much. I, I, I really like, love that opportunity. This stuff is changing every week. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that is our podcast for today. Thank you, Christopher. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in.